Hello and welcome to the Trucking Driver podcast. It's a different style of episode this time out. I'm joined by Paul O'Callaghan and we're going to be looking back at some old issues of Trucking Driver. Uh, kicking it off, we have got the first of three special edition magazines which were published in 1992. Now, Paul, you have uh, chosen these issues because you've been collecting magazines for a long time. How many How many would you say you've got in your collection? <laughs> I don't know whether it would be safer to count by waist in kilograms, Dougie, or in terms of the actual numbers of magazines. Um, there's, there, there's quite a few. Needless to say, none have been thrown out over the years and I've gathered a few along the way as well. So I started collecting Dougie probably about 1990, maybe. That was the, my first magazine, it was actually a truck, truck magazine. Um, and then from then on, I suppose, what, 1992 maybe? So I just picked these ones here because these are, um, this, this was when I started uh, buying truck and driver first, was uh, 1992. And this was when they had just come back and, and kind of, been a standalone publication after the amalgamation and being incorporated with Truck Magazine. So that's why I've just picked these ones. Obviously, Truck and Driver was out before it became incorporated with, with Truck and Driver, or sorry, with Truck Magazine. So just a bit, I thought it'd be a nice place to start and a lot of people would remember these special editions. I thought there were some really good photography in it and some really, really nice um, trucks featured in it as well. So that's why I've picked this one and, and it's mm-hmm. it's a fun on the front of it as well. So you should be <laughs> there you go. pretty happy well, about, pretty happy <clears throat> with that. Yeah, well of course the background to this was I didn't previously have any sort of archive of trucking driver magazines. And thanks to a very kind donation by the son of a reader um I have now inherited every issue of Truck and Driver and every issue of Truck which is just fantastic. We can do so much with this now. And if you're listening in, if you want to see some of these, uh, some of the pages from these issues, if you go onto the Truck and Driver website and look for the post about this podcast, you will be able to see some of the pages. Now, these are three special editions which were produced to test the water for Truck and Driver going out and being a standalone publication once again, we've got that right, haven't we? Pretty sure we're on the money with that, that way. Yeah. yeah. So they were published in 1992, and on the cover of the first one, we've got a yellow cover, and on there, the main topic and focus. Well, there's three. There are three main subjects of each issue. The first one is wages, and then you've got hours, and then you've got bosses. Uh, and the the headline on this is wages. Are you getting enough? Um, and on the cover, there's a beautiful red Foden 4350. In fact, yeah, that's what it is. A Foden 4350 with a Caterpillar engine in it on the cover. It's the that's big great. read. More pages, more pictures, more puzzles. Oh, dear. More prizes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention the puzzles. This was back in the days before everybody just spent their uh, taco breaks scrolling through Instagram, though, instead of doing a crossword. That's, so, that's, that's a fair point. If we, look, if we look at the cover, uh, some of these things still um, exist to this day. You've got picture post in Junior Trucker, and we still do. They have, they have, they have lived on to this day. So if we open up the first page here, we've got an advert for Volvo, because it's Volvo's... 25 years of trucking in Britain. 
And there's some special merchandise, which looks pretty stylish to me. Mm. I, I quite like the look of that jacket. The, the hat on the little boy looks like a bump cap. It's far, <laughs> far, far too big for him. <laughs> it, look, it looks massive already, yeah. Well, it's, it's all very tasteful sort of paraphernalia, which is in true Volvo style, I might add. Never really go for anything too garish, do they? No, well, it, it, we'll get to... We will encounter some of Truck and Driver's own merchandise, and I would say that that's rather less tasteful in due course. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I could Vol- just never never afford it as a, as a fourteen year old. I was kind of salivating mm. about, you know, imagine if you had but, this, imagine you had that. But um, so we've got um, uh, opening up on the advert. Then we've got a contents page, and the contents in the in store. We've got the Ice Warrior Scania one four three. We've got the Truckers Test with the new. Leyland Daff 95. Uh, we've got some truck racing and it opens up into truck stuff, which um, is the cover story. Now, <clears throat> the cover story in a modern trucking driver will have seven pages on it, but in this one at this point, it's just a single page. And it tells us about Ivan keeping and his classic Foden. Ivan. Now, Ivan, 24, works for his family firm Keeping Transport. A company started in 1975. And Ivan said he always wanted to be a driver, but his parents wouldn't allow him an easy ride into the family firm. Started off in a seven and a half tonner, and once he passed his HGV test, he had a T-Reg DAF 2800 with the horrible old ZF 12-speed <laughs> gear change. Now, I... I always thought that the DAF 2800s had the knockover 16-speed bus with the, the splitter switch on the lever. I wasn't aware of a 12-speed. Is that a mistake? I've no idea because I've, I've no experience really with those DAF, so I'll pass on that one, Dougie. Hmm. Ivan said he tried all the makes and demonstration, but he liked the cat's power. Um, Ivan is 6 foot 6, so the bunk length is critical. Um, his 350 brake horsepower Caterpillar engine driven through an Eaton twin splitter gearbox Eminox stack donated by Foden in recognition of all the publicity Ivan has had with his red rig. Said he go Foden gave him an exhaust stack and it does say here welcome to trucking driver this is one of the first special editions Um. Many of you used to read T&D when it was out on its own and more recently when it became part of Truck Magazine. Uh, so they've added more material. So yes, this is the magazine going back to being a standalone product. I didn't actually know that the magazine was amalgamated like that. This is why it's important to have this full archive. So did you yeah. buy this issue back in the day? Or I is this when you collected? No, no, I bought this back in the day and the price on the front, there's a little sticker on the front and it was... Two pounds and twelve p. That was when oh. we still had the punt. We still had our own currency. Oh, that time. Yeah. Oh, could, long before the euro. Uh, long before the euro. Yeah, I think the euro was about uh, two thousand and one ish. But just before you move on from the from the Foden, um, I don't know where I read it. I don't see it there. But if you look at the spoiler on the on the so it's got the wind kit on the roof, and then it's got a small little spoiler, and that actually came off an XR three i no less. You know, if you look right at the, at the roof of the Foden with the five <laughs> marker lights on it. Yes, that's a, that's a spoiler. That's off an XR3i. I must have read that somewhere else because I'm not sure if it's in this article, but um, 
that was well, that was uh, he said he got a yeah. lot of publicity for it eh? mm. it's and a, after, a, a after that, he, he actually went on to have um, I'm not sure was it the next truck after this pretty sure it would have been yeah he had um, a Volvo FH12 420 CD trim globetrotter Oof. which was yeah it would have been quite a because his and heels fair. just the flat cab model it's not mm. I think but that would have been the biggest cab would it have been available I think you could get Foden I think you could get the you could get the cheese wedge cab which was like a kind of a sleeper with with a kind of a, a, a steep angle at the, at, the, at the top of it so it wasn't like in the same sort of league as a globetrotter it was kind of plunked on top there um, yeah, I'm just gonna. I've been keeping. But well, it was quite a smart one. So, he's only he's only 24 in that picture there, so he's not. He's probably mm. still about probably knocking about today, up, I would think. Could well be, okay. yeah. But this is basically there's some details at the editorial, uh, but saying what would you like in the magazine? It says truck and driver was will always be the big read with the majority of pages being editorial. Which is still the same today. Mm. Mainly because we can't get more people to advertise on it. They, trust me, there'd be mere adverts if we could sell them. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But then we've got some back in, back issues. And then we've got your words and we've got a letters page. Because this would have been back in the day when hundreds of people would have written into you. We've got a picture. Sorry. you got a tenner for the best prize. This is me showing off my new truck incorporating truck and driver t-shirt on Christmas Day. Nice ladies sent in our picture. I'm certainly no page three, but I'm just about minus the beer belly. No offence to the sexy guys who were posed for your t-shirt advert and truck. Ah, looks not bad. Ros Mitchell sent that in. <laughs> We've just taken nice. delivery of a new Leyland Daff 80 series replacing our eight-year-old road train. Um... On the road train, there were lockers on either side of the cab. On the AT series, these have been discontinued. Uh, Could the men at Leyland Daft come and help me find my generous storage space because I'm blowed if I can and there's no radio as standard equipment. And then he goes, a reader having a complaint about his Leyland Daft AT series not having a radio on it. (laughs) Whoever was the editor, I'm not sure if it was Dave Young, um, because I know he was the editor after this but he suggests maybe he wouldn't have the same problem with a 95 430 which is the truck is it the um, yeah we get to that later truck, on truckers, later on, truckers test yeah but yes. I, I was going to say as well the both of the, the three of these magazines have I didn't I never actually noticed that the specials were the one was the wages the next was ours and number three was bosses and how to find a good one ne- neither of which would have been, have been any interest to me as a whatever I was then 14 years old no you just looking to look at the pictures of the trucks all I wanted to see was look at the pictures of the trucks and read about them so I suppose the next one really then that, that would have really grabbed my attention unless there's something else in between you want you want to discuss I was going to move on to, that, to, to the Craig Potter the Ice Warrior so uh, skipping on past we go on past truck stuff and then we get Win fifteen hundred quid's worth of prizes. The truck and driver are doing a big giveaway, whereby you can win a compact disc MIDI system with a fourteen inch or a fourteen inch remote control color TV. 
There's also a deep fat fryer. <laughs> Sorry. That'll be handy to go and use when you're out in the road. Well, and I, a... think the, I think I don't think they're actually linked to having them in the truck because there's a truck MIDI system as well. So maybe these are just pr- sort of. I think they're just. I think they're just general purpose mm. prizes. Aye. Mm. Fifteen hundred pounds off the luxury goods. That's not bad. We are going to do a prize giveaway in Truck and Driver later in the year. Uh, and we've got Sunday's lorry tipped on its side. Well, boss theme. We'll send in twenty-five pounds for the most humorous explanation. Well, officer. Oh, I see. Right. So they've got a picture of an unfortunate truck which is on its side, and they're asking you to send in a humorous caption for it. So we'll see if there's a caption in the next issue and we we'll get to it for this little Leyland Daff that's rolled over onto its side. Trucks, we've got an advert for the Truck and Track Show, Sunday the 16th, Silverstone 92. So this is like a forerunner to Convoy in the Park, I suppose. And uh, the celebrity who is there is Crabtree, the bumbling bogus gendarme from Allo Allo, alias Arthur Bostrom. Do you remember watching Allo Allo back in the day? Just vaguely, I remember his face. I probably remember him more from well, they the did it, they did it all than the, actually watching the TV show. They did it all with the funny accents. So, mm. like, And he was the guy, because he couldn't speak... French properly, he was doing a bad French accent and pronouncing things wrongly. So it's like, I was pissing in the illy on my way past. (laughs) So he's a celebrity, they've got, how random is that? It would have been better if they'd got Vicky Michelle along, who was a vet. (laughs) And then we move on, the worst job I've ever had. So we've got a page, which is a column about... Um, something going horrendously wrong so that's kind of like the blunt end really that we've got in this issue have you ever had a job that went terribly wrong or a truck that was just plain awful share it with us and write to worst job 10A London Muse we pay £25 for the best tales wonder if we did that and bumped it up to like 100 quid we could get anybody sending us anything in from there (laughs) and then we've got Shobar which was by far and away one of the most popular things in Truck and Driver. And we've got number one. This is it starting off. Shoba's Trucking Types, number one. The Loading Bay Operative. Do you remember Shoba? That must have been one of your favourite bits of the magazine when you were young. Ah, I used to. Yeah, I didn't mind a bit of a read of that. Yeah, it, was, um, it doesn't say who, who the artist was or who actually did it. No, Shoba is the artist. That's his name. Oh. He was the artist, he was like a motorbike guy. Um, he wasn't no. in haulage or anything, but he just got transport and got it perfectly. Um, yeah. And people say, why don't you bring Shobba back? Well, he retired and he just finished up. That's um, he, He's done it now. Uh, so unfortunately, he won't be making a comeback. I would love to, but he did this brilliant series. The number one, That's the Loading Bay Operative. As you know, they fall into two distinct categories. Those... Help A, the helpers back at base, A, believes Bracknell is a suburb of Kirkcaldy and will load your drops accordingly, <laughs> and all the rest, B, produces, possesses an interesting chameleon-like ability to blend into any background. Uh, so there's a whole series of these, because I looked on further into the magazines, and these get right up to, like, number 25 and beyond. So, 
I think I might, I might go and post up some showbiz. Hopefully, I'm not in copyright or anything. And then the magazine gets really serious. We've got two pages of legal brief. Now, this kind of stuff is the the remit of commercial motor these days. And then we've got two pages of Q&A for a legal brief. And then we've got another page of legal brief. And then we've got better driving. Now, we've got a two-page article on how to use the Eaton Twin Splitter. So there's actually a full guide with very small print. Pat Kennett, the famous Pat Kennett, has written this. Um, and, of course, you're... He starts off the the piece by saying, Twice in recent weeks I have met professional drivers who had failed to recognise that the trucks they were driving were fitted with Eaton Twin Splitter gearboxes despite the appropriately labelled diagram stuck up on the dash. In both cases they were laboriously driving as if it were a fuller Road Ranger gearbox. The shift lever is visually similar but that's no excuse. I mean Paul, you, you are the man when it comes to Road Ranger gearboxes, you've driven them loads in in Australia. Yeah, I did. Um, I've, now, I've never driven a, a twin splitter, so I'd probably be lost if I got into one of those. But yeah, the, the Road Ranger, Dougie, they were on the on the Kenworth, so that was a bit of a... So how was it, what was involved yeah. with shifting them? How do you get one of them to shift successfully? So it's it's just like a, it's a, basically a four over four. So you're, you've got your normal high low lever on the front and then you've got your splitter lever just up on the side of the gear stick so it's it's all pretty much similar to what you'd have on the layouts on a, on a synchro mesh box it's just that um it's non it's non-synchro mesh so just to kind of put it into my understanding of it it's, it's that um on a synchro on a synchro mesh box you'll have a little kind of a collar that'll slide out and uh, on the and it'll stop the next cog from spinning before it engages but on this, you don't have that mm -hmm. collar, so the, so they're spinning all the time. Basically, they're a straight cut. So you, you need to um, you need to match the revs to the uh, to the gear change. So that's it. You don't you can do it without using the clutch. So basically, you just you need to put your foot on the clutch just to get started. Just put it into crawler or first whatever gear you're taking off, and depending on, on what weight you have on. And after that, then you can just just watch the basically just watch the watch the rev counter just when you're just getting started off and maybe about I, don't, I can't remember something like 1300 rpm you can change up without using the using the clutch doogie and um on the way back down the box then you probably need to let it rev up a bit higher but coming back down the box is, is a bit of a challenge when you haven't done it first but now you can do it you can do use it by double clutching but uh, obviously it's an awful lot easier to do it without using the clutch so that's that's it they're a pretty tough robust reliable gearbox easy to repair don't really, that's yeah, the that's give, the thing, isn't it? Because yeah. they don't have synchro mesh rings in them, so they're tough, and they, they, they don't right. really go wrong really that tough. often. Yeah, and and if you grind, if you grind with your gears, which is um, probably going to happen when you're when you're starting off with them, it's it's not really the end of the world. It's not going to do the same sort of harm as it would in a in a synchro mesh box. So that's it, Dougie. The all of the if you buy a Kenworth now, um, just looking at going back to the Australian trucks. It'll, you know, that's that's the gearbox probably of choice. But still, would be a Road Ranger. Although the the Eaton Auto Shift is becoming more and more popular yeah, depending on the application. Yeah, I find that um, curious that the American trucks don't use the same auto gearboxes that we do in Europe. Like you don't find the ZF Traxxon gearbox in uh, Packard products in America. It's the Eaton Ultra Shift or something it's called, isn't it? 
True, yeah, that's it, Ultra Shift, which I, I, I found that worked, worked pretty well. I haven't really had much experience of, of the tracks on it, but um, I, was, I was impressed with that, that even they did a pretty good job on us, and um, it, was, well, uh, it, it was great. In the article here, Pat, he starts off by talking about the twin splitter, which was everybody online these days, um, all the old guys could drive a twin splitter, no bother, it was the greatest gearbox known to man, but the reality was, back in the day, this gearbox, if you didn't know what you were doing with it, it could cause quite a lot of problems. And there were guys out there that hated it. Because um, you did need I'm some training out, yeah. on it. You could I'm drive it. Out, if, yeah. if you look at the... It tells you there's diagrams of the shift pattern, like on how to do the upshifts, where you pre-select mm. the gear. And this is like tiny, small print. Yeah, move gear lever. Move gear lever. Move gear lever into first position, release clutch slowly, apply throttle, right? So this is all very normal stuff. So it's got your splitter shift. So if you pre-select the second position on the the switch on the side of the gear lever, clutch, depress, release, second gear is engaged, repeat for shifting, two to three, pre-select. See, that's confused me already. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually not even looking. I'm just looking at Craig Powers 143 now. <laughs> I, I'm trying just, to work out. I'm trying to work out. It, it explains. It explains to you how you can change up the gears on it, but it's um, it's a complicated the, b- bloody thing. Look, it, it's, it looks it looks complicated <laughs> there, and, and I'm sure it'll make an awful lot more sense if you were sitting in a truck and you were <laughs> explaining explain how to do it. It's like all these things that you kind of need to be sitting there and. It's got an upshift brake on it as well and downshifting. Um, but this, I mean, back in the day, this would have been a useful thing. If you happened to pick this up and you were having a lot of bother with it, that's like good good knowledge. It does also yeah. mention the very beginning of smart transmissions, they call them, which is what we would know as automatics. And it that's mentions right, yeah. Scania's computer-aided gear shift, which indicates on a dash top display what gear should be selected and when. Um, and it mentions Mercedes EPS system as the most common smart transmission after the... Well, the twin splitter is um, considered to be a smart transmission. Mm. Really? Um, I wouldn't say a Mercedes EPS and a twin splitter would be very comparable no. with each other. No. <laughs> to be fair, the, the, uh, the EPS come in for a bit of flack, but they were, they were way ahead of their time. They were one of the earliest... Uh, Incarnations really of a of a successful semi-auto gearbox, uh, if you want to call it that. So uh, they made um they made a pretty big move um big move by having all of the, the UK ones EPS from from mm-hmm. a certain year forward, which probably didn't gain them a lot of favours in, in some places. But on on the whole, they seemed to work pretty well. Um, yeah, it was. It was Mercedes that pioneered that, and as I mentioned here, That's right, yeah. this is like long before iShift was on the horizon. Volvo has a very advanced and very expensive 12-speed system called the Geartronic, but you That's won't right. find any of these in the UK for a while at least. And I it says it's true. Can, although I remember you, you could get um you could get an F10 Geartronic, so that would have probably been about maybe 93, 94, mm-hmm. they would have started to come on stream. Mm-hmm. But again, just led, led to the the ice shift in time. Mm-hmm. Well, it says, that just to finish off the article, it says, now is the time to start learning about them and a real opportunity to broaden your professional skills and expertise. 
If you have any doubt, talk to the transport manager or fleet engineer. He should have the answers. Can't imagine asking a modern transport manager, uh, excuse me, uh, I'd like you to explain to me the gearbox that's in my truck. You would get much of a, a response from that. Moving on to the next page, this is, now we get some uh, truck porn. We've got Craig, Craig Potter's um, Scania 143. Uh, that was a cracking shot. By that's a beautiful and, uh, photograph. Track and shot photographs by Paul Dubois. Paul Dubois, yeah. I'm not a name I've Don't. heard no. of before, but this, to describe the Scania, it's a 4 by 2 And I tell you what, it's aged remarkably well, this truck. Some of the older customised trucks would are, are kind of of their time, you would say. But this one, uh, it's got a bull bar in the front of it and it's got a full set of airbrushing uh, a wind kit with marker lights on it and side skirts and it really that would hold up well today I think it's a big um, and then it moves Very on impressive. to the it moves on to the second spread and we can see all the the airbrushing on the truck and mm. it's actually got bare boobs on it <laughs> I see that yeah apart from that it's um, it's actually quite well apart from that it's quite, it's quite tasty apart from that, yeah, yeah. It, I just I had a quick read through it and he actually so he bought the truck second hand and gave the gave the painters the penny cuts were given a totally free hand. And it says it, it cost them what did it say they it only, it said it only cost uh, I don't know a couple of grand or something. So they said they didn't really charge him as much as they normally would because they were given a free rein at it. But it's a it's a cracking looking truck and definitely something you would have been aspiring to at a young age for sure. Oh, aye, but it says the chrome and stainless steel work was supplied by Riggs and Twigs in Bristol. And Craig added the Eminox stainless steel stacks. The Alcoa alloys are on the truck when he bought it. Riggs and Twigs of Bristol. That's not a name we hear nowadays, so I'm going to assume that they no. are no longer on the go. But it says he started out just a young, just a young lad. Craig's only 24. When this was done, started out the business with three transits on hire and a ten grand loan. He says we've been fortunate and we've got a lot to thank our customers for. We spend a lot of hours giving a good service. So he's there with his. Uh, he chopped in his own beer. His dad chopped in his own beer edge Range Rover to pay for the paint job. And yeah, it's got uh, the trucks got pictures of. What would you say this is? It's like. Um, Nordic goddesses and gods and things. You've got like a Siberian tiger, so and we've on got the, uh, yeah on, on the, the left hand side. The yeah. Lorry. she's yeah. she she's kind of on her hands and knees, and the tiger is looking at her quite menacing, menacingly. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what yeah, really happens in the next scene of that. that on the other there? side, she's looking she's looking a bit more. Um, she's standing a bit more proud in the next one. She's standing upright, and there's a. He looks like some sort of a Nordic warrior on steroids. He's down <laughs> on his ha- he's on a, he's on his hunkers, looking at her. So it is. It's an <laughs> it's intre- interesting like, set of air, interesting. interesting set of airbrush. Yeah, <laughs> but but uh, but apart from, apart from the airbrush, brushing, I liked the um, I like the the fact that that kind of scenery, that uh, the way it's done, it's kind of snow, and then you have the blue sky in the top. That was really really well done. Apart from the maybe we'd say the it does it, the, it, it the, did, well the, apart the from the chest. 
the the bare chest maybe wouldn't you maybe wouldn't quite get away with that no. today well, that without was... somebody complaining about it. But yeah, it looks it's back, dated back really well. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, so I the side skirts. I I don't know where the sides they're spurious side skirts. They're definitely not the, the Scania ones, but they look quite well. Uh, now let's just have a quick uh, look here. We'll go into the DVLA and see if the Scania is still still with us. Who had that truck from new G280RWL? So it would have been quite quite a high spec truck if it was new and it had a set of alley wheels on it. No, I scan you white, untaxed, 1st of October 1996. So that truck didn't have a particularly long life on the road. No, I wonder if could something be, maybe happened to it. I think I do remember something about an accident because uh, he, after this, he had a left-hand drive, one of, one of the, I presume it would have been one of the earliest uh, DAF 95s with the 500 Cummins engine in it. Mm, that is rare. Well, well left-hand mm. drive, yeah. Yeah, left-hand drive. And then he also, well, on the next one then, there was another um, super space that arrived after. It was right-hand drive 430, which had his mm -hmm. sister's name on the front of it, Kerry L. Potter. But they were two absolutely smashing-looking trucks as well and would have been fairly well known on the, the show scene. So there was, um, I think it might have been the Ice Warrior 2 was ah. the left hooker 500. And well, it might appear... It, it might appear in a future issue of Truck and Driver going oh, forward, for we, sure. might, we might turn it up. We've got a nice picture of all the all the guys together, like all the, the, the family. Craig with some of his vehicles and Sister Kerry, Chris Stevens, Damien Salter, Nigel Hold, Neil Holdaway, Travis Fricker, that's a pretty cool name, plus Nobby and young Ashley. So... Mm. Ah, it's a cracking looking, but cracking looking bit of kit that. But curiously, it's not the cover truck. Uh, the, the Foden was the cover truck, um, right, which has yeah. only got one page, one page dedicated to. Yeah, it's a kind of unusual way of doing it. Was the but there was a poster of the of the Foden, a two page poster, which I had up on my wall for a long, long time, and hence I'm actually missing the centre spread from the next. I wonder. Uh, it was worth it. Yeah. I'm just going to check. I'm just going to check the centre spread of this to see if that is indeed. In there. Oh, yes. um, Why can't I find my centre spread? Oh yes, indeed, <laughs> I've still got it. Yeah, there's an absolutely. There yeah, you go. Like a few memories. All oh, I always remember the trailer. The trailer was pretty tatty in comparison to the truck. Yeah, we will. Um, oh, it is. The curtains are um, a bit mangled at the front, and the, the tails aren't mm. tucked in on any of the mm. ratchets. Oh dear, but, uh, yeah, that's correct. Please do have a look at the website post that I'll put up about this podcast. See, so you can see some of the pictures of things. Moving on from the Ice Warrior, we get to Trucker's Test. Now, I brought back Trucker's Test in the revised trucking driver, but all we were doing in it was taking the truck to a truck stop and then you could get guys kind of clamber about the interior and just give us our visual impressions of, you know, the cab and what they thought. They couldn't drive the truck on the road. But back when they were doing the trucker's test, at this point, uh, drivers were able to go and take the truck out for a spin. Uh, but I think they had to stop it because you were getting guys who were sitting on a 45 in a truck stop 
and then you would be like, here, do you want a shot of this? So they would just hop in it, <laughs> hop in it and take it out for a spin because this was the days of analogue tachygraphs. <laughs> but yeah, it's a cracking look. If you look at where, where, where the photograph was taken, there's some, um, I'm just looking at the trucks that are in the background there. I think that's Sea uh, Lane. There's a couple of F10s there. Yep. And then beside that then is uh, Swain's. Who are still on the go with those nice yep, green Swains are still trucks. on the go, yep. a, that's a what's that? That's a Leyland yeah. Road train with Swains. Yeah, because we've got a picture is of it? the Leyland. It's a Leyland Daft ninety five four thirty on a J Reg with a space cab. So this was the um, flagship model at the time because of course they didn't put the fourteen liter Cummins in the Daft, uh, which is why a lot of and people it was bought the super, super space cab as well. Yeah, which is why a lot of people bought said and Atkinsons because they could get the fourteen liter. And just that's a Renault. Um, what's the name of that Manager, Renault? No, Manager. Max Maxter. It says Turbo Liner on the side of the cab. So a nice, oh, yeah. a nice a mix of trucks D- there. Dutch one. Yeah, so oh, I like I looking at the old photographs and trucks. And actually, if you look, that looks like a chrome body, does it? No, it could be wrong. You know that chrome with the they used to have a lot of Volvo. Still, I think they're still on the go doing um, doing a lot of Eastern Bloc stuff. Maybe I'm wrong. Be mm. So basically, well, yes, we get uh, we've got how many pages is truckers test? It is four pages, and we've got yeah a big a big mix of drivers who are all um, who are all out having a shot having a shot of it. Let's see what some what some of them think of it. Barry Bucks, we were interested in Barry's comments on the new cab trim because he drives a G Reg ninety five. With the old style cab for Gilbert's animal byproducts. <laughs> animal byproducts, that sounds stinky. The new trim is far better. I'd sooner have this dark blue. The old grey was a bit dull. Um, the, fa- the old fascia had a rough surface, so it pulls the yellow fluff off a duster. Um, this one has got a wardrobe on it. Which is nice. It looks pretty good on the inside. It's got them all having a look about it. John climbed down from the Scania 142. He pilots for Hatfield Express. His first impressions in the daft. There's plenty of room in the cab and this fascia is now something you can polish. There used to be a lot of complaints about the old one. Oh, there we go. the second person that's mentioned that. He set off easily, changing up with a 1-3-5 gear change progression before using the splitter on the higher ratios. It's very quiet, he commented, and it's still picking up on the revs on this first climb. We've gone over the brow in 6, low at 1200rpm. The split down saved it. On my Scania, I've only got a 5 over 5 with no splitter. Going down the other side, he was less impressed. The exhaust brake is useless compared with my Scania V8. But on the plus side, the engine is very quiet. Keith, Keith Hatter was in a hurry, but he couldn't resist trying, trying the new 95 430. His regular drive is an Iveco Ford TurboTech belonging to Russell Davies and running in evergreen colours. He's another one. He praises the interior as well. Seems to get a pretty good write-up, the DAF. This is much mm, quieter. Well, if, I if hate to... Look, if you, you look at what most of these guys are driving, I mean, if you if you, if you were driving a, I mean, a Scania One Four Two, and that that DAF would have been, you know, pretty modern technology, or even compared to an Aveco Ford's TurboTech or an uh, 
a little out of the road train. You know, it, it definitely would have been um, quite a, quite a thing. A lot of those trucks, anyway, in, term, in terms of space and comfort. And Mm-hmm. It's much Dylan Evans says I hate to admit it but it's much quieter than my ERF what power is this 430 I thought it was pulling well the gear change is heavy after my twin splitter I didn't think the exhaust brake was doing any good no, I seem to Daft's standard exhaust brake always was useless until very recently actually I like this truck very much but I'd prefer it with the twin splitter Dylan concluded why don't they offer it yeah, that was the thing. You could have the said Atkinson with a Cummins and a twin splitter. And then moving on to the next page, this is T&D's investigation. So this is part of the the three um, the three different issues: wages. Some truck drivers earn twenty five grand a year, but they are the rare exception. Jack Semple looks at rates for various jobs and talks to drivers, employers and unions about prospects for the future. So I'm bad. Um, pay rates, let's have a look. The flimsy arena for negotiation between unions and the RHA members range from £140 to £152 for non-HGV drivers to £151 to £158 for drivers of 38 tonners. So that must just be like your weekly basic, your weekly basic pay. By comparison, the average gross earnings for male manual workers were two hundred and sixty-six pounds eighty a week by December nineteen ninety-one, which works out around thirteen and a half grand a year. Average earnings for all workers in the UK across the board are almost three hundred pounds a week or fifteen and a half grand a year. No wonder so many disillusioned drivers are leaving the industry if they can find another job to go to. So there you go. Wages have always been a a, a, um, a problem for the industry, uh, but that's quite interesting that they've got this full. It is an extensive investigation looking at all different sort of drivers and saying. Bob Anderson and Randall Evans are long-serving drivers of the family firm in South Wales. They're on £3.50 an hour, which is just 10p above Labour's proposed minimum basic wage rate. Bob says, we read about people getting 230 to 240 for a 39-hour week, but that's in manufacturing. You can forget that in haulage. And this goes on to look at unions and... Um, talking about minimum minimum wages, um, thousands of workers in transport on less than three pounds forty an hour. Oh. I mean that's back in nineteen ninety two. That's me. But we're back. We've got that beautiful centre page spread on the phone, and then we've got another cracking opening shot as we move on. Another one by Paul Dubois. We have got an Iveco Ford car transporter uh, with a load of Ford Sierras on it. In fact, there's a Granada up the top there as well. These must be brand new. Um, going a, two, a Sierra 2-litre I GLX. On the job tells you the ins and outs of different driving jobs. Dave Young, there we go, there's Dave, spends a typical day with tollman driver Alex Marshall and he's got a 190 36i Veco. Now that wouldn't be a Turbo Star, that would be a Turbo Tech, wouldn't it? I think so, yeah. There's no badge, but yeah, she's not a Turbo Star anyway. 
the um, mm. the thing that I always remember about this article was the number of cars that he had on us was 12. So 12 mm-hmm. big cars. And I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think you'll see a modern day car transporter with that many cars on it. Uh, well, see, he's got a car right over the um, the front of the windscreen. Mm. And I'm not, it looks to me like, is a, is a truck in a VBG coupling? So you can get like one, two, three, four. You can get four cars on the truck and then the rest on the the rest on the trailer. But you used to get car transporters which had the peak, like an articulated one. So when you would turn the tractor unit head, the bit above it would just keep going straight on, which they stopped doing for safety reasons because of many, many, you know, traffic lights getting taken out of the game. That doesn't look that way. But it's certainly not... You wouldn't see a car hanging over the front like that anymore. Um, But our driver is Alex Marshall. I've seen... You you remember reading it back in the day? Cars. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. And uh, it's an LOR, LOR manufactured trailer, which I guess they're either French... Maybe, possibly. Lord, a Mark V Lord, L-O-H-R. The the Mark V Lord bodied Iveco is the only car transporter capable of carrying 12 large family saloons in one go. Uh, And our driver is Alex Marshall, age 50-ish, driving for 30 years, served 10 years. And I find this curious because they they tell you people's wages. Which would be, you know, that'd be like a private right. sort of thing these days. I couldn't imagine publishing that in Trucking Driver uh, these days. But basic pay, £120 per week. Hours variable, earnings up to £25,000. He must have to do a hell of a amount of overtime to get up to twenty-five grand. Like, his basic must be very basic. Oh. I'm trying to... I don't I'm know what to, happens to... The, the tall man, but they were they were very smart looking trucks, nice two tone blue, nice logo, alloy wheels, and there's a picture there. There's four of them running at thirty two and a half tons, alloy wheels, a valuable weight with twelve car load. Yeah, so performance is more than adequate. Three hundred and sixty horsepower for thirty two and a half tons is a good power to weight ratio, which I suppose is not not bad not bad for the time. You can see there's a picture of him fastening the front mm. car. Overhang is allowed in the UK, not in Europe. See, you'd have to wa- you would have to watch that if you were like crawling in traffic with that overhang and you were like close to the back of another lorry, or say it had a bit of an overhang, you could end up That's nudging, <laughs> nudging the car. There's there's an escort on the very bottom. Is that an S? It's, it's not an RS two thousand, but it's the, it's it's a it's a two liter one, isn't it? You see on the page sixty. For, sorry, 44. There's a silver escort. Those alley, remember those alleys? They were. Look oh, on here. Page 44. Where are we? That is um, either an XR3i or an RS2000. That was one of the much maligned British. early Mark V escorts which came out um, in 1990 and were absolutely slated across the board and this is a this is obviously the final days of the Ford Sierra as well in 1992 because they were about to be replaced with the Mondeo professional etiquette Alex waves to a driver from rival firm Silcock Express 
Uh, of course, he waves to fellow car transporter drivers. Is that still? Do people still wave much these days? I used to wave to other Foden drivers when I was well, on my tipper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of wave to everybody, but I do notice when you're driving. Like when I was in the, um, I did a couple of days in the uh, when I was delivering the beds that time, and you, you kind of got big flashes and waves out of guys that were delivering furniture. You know those trucks that were on kind of smaller wheels. Right, on the same kind of job. It took me a minute to kind of real. Took me it's exactly yeah. Kind of it was a bit of an acknowledgement. And sometimes it took me a second. Like, what's he? Oh, yeah, I had to kind of remind myself yeah. while I was driving. But uh, I do notice that, yeah, you'll, um, you, you kind of, depending on what you're driving, you might get a, a, mm. a, a knowing kind of a wave from someone else driving, driving a similar. This is a cracking article. On page 42, they've got the loading sequence, which shows you how they load um, every single car onto it in 12 steps, like where they, where they all need to go in what order. I'll scan that one and as well and put it on the website and then it's got a picture of the drawbar yeah. set up but it's got rams extend the drawbar to give enough clearance when cornering so i take it that i'm not sure if that's a setup which is still used to this day hydraulic rams for cornering because it would just be a standard vbg coupling these days yeah. but it's a it's um an extensive um extensive article that goes into some detail about uh, the car transporting we did them now and again since i've been in truck and driver we've done one or two on the jobs um bob tuck um did one or two for us i think the last one we did was a guy doing like concrete pouring um with a daft i think that was the last one that we did and of course it's got a box out here tricks of the trade for car transporting so when this is a as, as a 14 year old kid reading this you know this would be giving you um, grand ideas and, and, and things for wanting to get into the wanting to get into truck driving far more than what your careers yeah, officer at bloody school ever did did you did you yeah. did you have a careers officer at school who like went and sat you down and asked, told, went and said like you know what you, what you should maybe go and do when you left school yeah well strangely enough none of them recommended that I go become a truck driver no nobody recommended me to or, e- or even no, <laughs> or not alone that. Everything was. Um, you weren't even. It actually wasn't even encouraged to go and do a trade. So now we have a shortage of no. trades here. Ah, that was exactly. All, you had to, everything was geared was geared towards college. Whereas if it you was, look in, if you go to Germany, they've got they've got a lot more skilled engineers and um, yeah, more practical uh, professions really. So it is. I I just, I found. I it's found that, that everything, at, everything at school, you know, nothing was geared towards saying, you know, this would be a great thing for you to do, go and get a trade, because I was more, in, at this point in my life, I was more into cars than trucks. I was absolutely Vauxhall car daft, and it, but I was also really good at English, so I got really good grades in English at school, so I ended up staying on. But nobody in like the careers office had said it, and you know what are you what are you into? You know what is it? What's your what are you passionate about? And nobody oh. recommended that I would go and no. do an apprenticeship or a Definitely trade or anything. Was. It was all geared to you have to go to university, and then lo- far too many people went to university and got like a degree in philosophy or something like that, or like you know, which was not that I'm saying that, that a degree in philosophy is useless, but um, it certainly got very limited well, uses I'm, I'm- in the real world. <laughs> That's right. You could have a degree degree in philosophy, and you're end up, you know, stacking shelves somewhere a bit overqualified. So, uh, 
Aye, that so was the way it was back then. But um, I like this this tricks of the trade thing uh, for car transporter drivers. Always used approved load restraint points. Take time over tying down. Good housekeeping. Store tackle. Never have loosened swinging securing hooks. Well, this is just general purpose stuff. Plan your route carefully. Well, there's something which people, well, a lot of people simply don't bother to do these days is plan your route to have a look at where point A and where point B is and uh, plan it out so you know where it is that you're going. It's just stick a postcode into a sat-nav and blindly, blindly follow it. Oh, I quite like that. Be diplomatic to customers. You represent your company. Good bit of advice there. And then we move on to... Another wonderful photograph, we've got the truck racing um, by Jonathan Reeves and we've got a trio of ERFs um, screaming round a corner on a race circuit and these trucks are very different to the modern truck racing vehicle um, because these things, well the, the one, yeah it looks like they've got kind of like a half-arsed attempt at a roll cage <laughs> in them, there's like a single bar going across. Yeah, and it's got all details because obviously trucking driver was a supporter of the truck, the truck racing, and there's a lot of, a lot of cracking pictures and, and um, somebody got into a gravel trap with a bonneted MAN and things. We'll be picking the truck racing back up again, uh, uh, in due course with with trucking driver. I'm going to be doing a podcast with Stuart Oliver, and I'm going to be trying to get. It's trying to explain truck racing because you need to have a bit of understanding of it. Um, other, to get into it, it took me a while to have an understanding of what was going on, so I've got a bit of work of that to go forward. Now, Bob Tuck joins Bob Black and his Unipower heli- heavy hauler carrying two tonnes of nuclear waste in a 55 tonne container. Innocent times. <laughs> That is one hell of a truck. So you, I'm on page yeah, 52. In relation to the unit truck, yeah, I'm looking at it here. It says um, the, the Watford-based Unipower Group took over the Scammell business in 1988 when Daft took over Leyland. Many of the key people at Scammell have since joined Unipower and the company is specialising in the traditional Scammell business of building top-weight heavy haulers. So they mustn't have really like, went on for too much longer, did they, after that? I don't think so, no. No, I mean, the truck that we're looking at is this big bonneted monster of a thing, and a G-Reg, it's got a huge bonnet, and it's got a big air cleaner out the front, and it's got a tiny little, like the cab almost looks like it's off, like a pickup truck. That's how how small it is. The doors actually, it looks like a... It looks a little bit like a Leyland cab. If you look at those doors, like a Leyland constructor or something, but it's a big day, day cab thing, big, he- heavy, double drive, heavy axles, hub reduction. Yeah, I wonder because uh, what, um, it'll have like, I wonder what axles and things that they used. Unipower trucks. Uh, Universal Power was a British truck manufacturer which branded its trucks with the Unipower mark. History. Um, in 1988, the company started a new enterprise in Watford to provide continuity of support for Scammell following the closure of Leyland Daff. Um, in the 1980s, it uh, built military trucks. Alvis PLC acquired the company in 1994 and named their new subsidiary Alvis Unipower Limited. 
Following their elimination from the bidding process for the UK Ministry of Defence's heavy equipment transporter project, Alvis announced their intention to seek a new owner for Alvis Unipar. So I guess that was the end of that. But of course, um, moving two tonnes of nuclear waste, can you imagine the security clearance you would have to get and the health and safety things you would have to jump through to be able to sit in on that today. Um, I think they were only going a distance of, uh, was it four miles each way? Uh, they so only do one road haul a week, a four mile round trip with a regular 55 ton load. Yeah, a protective flask, two tons of spent nuclear fuel. Bobots for Scottish Nuclear, a company that was set up as a specialist nuclear generating company. Yeah, I'm getting, now where would you be taking that from? Because there were more. Uh, here we go. They're based at Hunterston B, which we visited in Torness. Two advanced gas cooled reactors, which provide half of Scotland's electricity requirements, because of course these nuclear power plants have been shut down. Now there's like Sellafield in Cumbria. I remember doing a photo shoot for Total Vauxhall magazine back in the day where we, um, it was a Corsa Turbo and we were photographing it sort of like in the vicinity of the power plant, um, like running up and down the road and security, there must have been cameraed up to hell because security came out in a pickup truck and asked us what the hell it was we thought we were doing and we were like just photographing a car right. and they were like, well, don't do it here, even though it was like a public road. <laughs> But the I choice of Unipar. Um, are you going to say something? No, I just said, well, if it's a public road, they can't stop you, so. Uh, well, we decided that we probably um, would just vacate it vacate it anyway. With it. They, they didn't seem too pleased. There was a, but it was because like, Steve had his camera with a big long lens, and I think that they thought that we were taking pictures of the power plant, you know, just for like, you know. Ah. For whatever reason, yeah. if they get closer, it was obvious that we weren't. But uh, so this Unipower's a, a hell of a thing, and here's a picture of them with a stood in front of a Foden of some sort. We don't see any other mention of that. But uh, that's that's crazy that that flask weighs fifty five tons because in the picture it's just sitting in the middle of the trailer. It doesn't look like um, very much at all. The flask is designed to resist a train crash without leaking the fuel rod payload is tiny so it's just the pure weight that you know this thing you could drop it off um the empire state building or something i suppose and it wouldn't break but under the bonnet of the unipower is a 400 horsepower 14 liter cummins driving a six speed allison torque converter automatic the spec isn't particularly powerful but it's just right for the scottish nuclear job Bob fired up the Cummins and slipped the automatic Allison into second, into the second to fourth slot before threading his way through the Hunterston complex and onto the access road proper. Although the six-axled outfits run under Category 3 of the STGO regs, which allow for speeds of up to 25 miles an hour, Scottish Nuclear has a policy of sticking to no more than 12 miles an hour. But even at that modest pace, it didn't take Bob that long to reach fairly. Only the climb up station road to the rail siding made the Cummins grunt a little. 12 miles an hour. Well, I suppose with nuclear waste. <laughs> and you're only doing 8 miles a week. 
And we move on to good old picture post. You recognise any of the trucks in this picture? They well, on this page. Well, picture post, of course, being... Well, this still retained. This is still exactly the same in truck and driver to this day. Uh, picture post, it's still the, mm. exactly the same. Yeah, that's a tidy magnum. Yeah. And that that was one of the very, very first ones. If this is 92, so that mm. has, they changed the badge. They changed, they changed it to the diamond badge. There it's it's kind of has it lines in it. And then I think from about 90, maybe 93, then that badge was changed to a chrome badge. So that's how you can tell it's one of the very, very first ones. So she's mm. in 380, a Belgian 380, pulling a Norbert Dentersangle tank. It's quite a smart looking truck. Olivier from Knockheist in Belgium. That definitely mm, would have been the standout truck for me in that, in that article. Yeah. In fact, post. there's a, there's some right mix of stuff. There's a bizarre, a Peter Dime. It's, a, um, it's not clear if this is in the UK or Europe or not, but it's a, it's a Peter-built cab-over with a sort of homemade Kenworth Aerodyne sleeper on the top of it, but the Aerodyne, like the Aero would... Uh, stipulate that it's aerodynamic because it's got quite a bit of a slant on the front of it, the aerodyne sleepers, and this one doesn't. This this is um, much more squared off in the front, so it must be a homemade job. Uh, Beckins? Bacon, I always presumed that photograph was taken in the States, but... Um, Beckins Haulage Limited. Not. I don't know. Beckins Haulage Limited. Would it be that in America? Well, the map you see that? It says, it says Beckon's van lines. Oh, it says Beckon van lines in the door. That is an American thing, isn't it? Yeah. Beckon's van lines. Oh, it's, oh it's, it's van lines. It's not... It's, it's, it's something in Illinois. Oh, it's, definitely, it's definitely in America. I do like... There's a photo of a, a DAF 3200 ATI, which, of course, this was the truck that they brought out again because they had that much bother with the DAF 95s that they reintroduced the old shape 241, so the 3300 became the 3200. And I tell you what, in the days long before digital cameras and everything, that's a bloody good photo he's got in the top corner uh, of the DAF at night with all the spotlights lit up. The trailer's got full of beans on the side of it. And we've got got an Ainscoff Scania double drive with an aeroplane on it with no wings a redundant BAC 111 on route from Manchester to Warrington in the hands of Aincoff's 113H368 and is it Broshus? Broshus? How do you pronounce that? Broshus? Trombone trailer? Yeah, I reckon. Yeah, go for Broshus. Broshus. And we've got a... um, and we've got a tarmac roadstone. This is when tarmac had green trucks, uh, an ERF by sent in by David Owen. So that remains pretty much the same to this day. Old picture post. In fact, I tell a lie because we skip over the page and there are four pages of it. And we've got some nice big photos here of some right old right old stuff. Some there's another Magnum. AE Magnum has the horsepower badges removed. Oh. Was he trying to hide? <laughs> I'm just looking at this um, interroute. Smoky early morning start for the F10 at Oxford Cattlemart. So I've got two holes in the page here. I've obviously I've cut out the TIR badge. Is there a TIR badge in yours? 
There is that. If you you've cut the TIR, but the TIR but uh, just uh, tiny. Who are you using that uh, for? Well, I was thinking I was into a bit of model building and, and uh, adjustment ah. back then, and <laughs> this was and, and I've also and I noticed I've also cut the the, the the little mini flags from the uh, from the windscreen as well. So I think they went into uh, Britain's Iveco one thirty two scale cattle truck, which is probably about the same size as um, as the front of that. You've got quite a still. you've got quite a selection of models, don't you? I think I remember. Is it upstairs? Yeah. You're like kind of your attic. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff up there. Yeah, yeah. We've got, we've got a fair bit of stuff. A lot of agri kind of one thirty two scale stuff. Still collecting a little bit of that, and then That's um, and then the one to fifty scale trucks as well. The thing that frustrates me about models are like well, I had loads of Britons stuff uh, as toys uh, so uh, they did um, a lot of like cement mixers and li- little uh, tractors and all that and it was amazing and they're still in my parents garage somewhere somewhere. Um, but the thing that frustrated me about 1 to 32 was you could have tractors and excavators and everything but you couldn't have the trucks to go with it and yet I could never find 1 to 32 scale lorries and I don't know why that is I would like to know because that's, I, that's right. When I was like playing with my I, trucks, it would annoy me. You couldn't have a bloody matchbox Kenworth Arctic getting loaded off a Britain's excavator. No. <laughs> that's that's, that's wrong. Right. It's far too small. Although, yeah, <laughs> one to thirty-two, one to thirty-two scale was never really a scale for um, for modern trucks. But there is a company, a Dutch company, they've actually brought out a couple of smashing models lately. More on the collector's side of things, they've brought out uh, Volvo F8 16750 both in 6x2 and 4x2 and have bought mm. out um, a Mercedes-Benz Actros. They're pretty good value. They're about 100 mm. quid for a, for a tractor unit, 100 quid for a low loader, a um, new boom low loader. Yeah. So gather up a couple of those on the way as well. They're pretty nice. Ah. Well, and then we've got four pages on model trucks, uh, which goes into detail about all sorts of stuff. Dave Young sizes up his new 1 to 87th scale Herpa models. So they're like they're like what are they they're like totty wee like matchbox sort of sort of yeah. things, aren't they? There was, there's there's Herpa and then there's a little company called HOO. I think they're still on the go. But yeah, uh, there is yeah, that's you're into another little niche there with the with the one to eight eighty seven stuff. Don't really have much of that. What about my dad's wagon? No, small and then we got Would that be it, you notice there's a page. The next special edition of Truck and Driver will be on sale on July the 9th. So I'm not sure when this one went on sale. Um, but that's it. This, this dates it. This is like the first part of like first half of 1992. This magazine came out. And then we've got we've got an article from the late great Pat Kennett, who, who, Kennett who's looking back on the Lady Trucker contest before the equal opportunity people stopped it. Oh, I wonder how well I wonder how well dated this article is going to have uh, going to be. These days, there are quite a lot of women driving trucks, but back in seventy four, seventy five, when we started Truck Magazine, there was something of a rarity in the business. For that reason, we set up a driving contest for our female readers and called it Lady Trucker Championship. It began in a light-hearted form, but the ladies took it very seriously, so we were obliged to do likewise. Um, 25 finalists sponsored by a daft distributor the day got off I'll have to go and look back and find those very early issues of trucks to see if I can find see if I can find this some of the girls were real stars 
Um, Joyce Wellings from Birmingham, Isabel Miller from Northern Ireland, the tiniest girl of the bunch who drove a Scania 140 for a family fun, and Geordie Sarah Paradigm. Pretty sure Isabel Miller, that was Miller Transport, if you remember. A lot of people will remember their trucks. They had a nice fleet of Scania's um, 141s, 142s, 143s. They were cream with, with red, kind of a few different red stripes on them. Very, very nice gear, well known. I think I'm pretty sure that's who that was. Roundstown. <laughs> I think that's where they were from. And it says that eventually, so June, a lady, June won it. Um, June lost only one mark out of 100 in tests. Um, and on the road section, she got a perfect score. None of the lads could match that in the day. Even though June won the contest fair and square, we got another stuffy letter from the EOC. What's the e- Equal Opportunities Commission who took a dim view of the whole thing? Um, they said in very serious terms that our Lady Trucker competition was in breach of the Sex Discrimination Act. <laughs> um, good grief, this is in 1976. I mean, this is a contest where it's actually getting um, women out driving. I thought for a minute when I was going to read this, they're going to be doing like things like, you know, doing like things based upon looks and stuff but it wasn't this is like a driving contest so seems a bit bizarre a a bit bizarre it was kind of it was a sign of things to come a sign of things to come a sign of things to come but absolutely I mean you know what things were like in the 70s 80s even the 90s and early 2000s compared to what it's like now in terms of like equality and what you can say and what you can't but this seems like a legitimate driving contest so I don't see what the problem what the problem is with it, I'm going to have to go dig it out and find that. Find that it's quite interesting, and then we get to we get junior trucker at the back now. Um, we still, do, if I get sent in kids drawings or anything, or you want pictures of your kids with the trucks and everything, we'll always print them in truck scene in the magazine. Uh, it just depends what we get sent from one month to the next. But then uh, this uh, junior trucker page just seems to be more on models in this particular issue. I have seen other of the other older trucking drivers where it's like a couple of pages of drawings and things and um well we've got a junior crossword right we'll just go and uh, pass over that oh and here we go my dad's wagon um i think that's quite quite good because a lot of kids would have picked up their dad's copies of trucking driver back in the day and um read it of course but if you if your dad was in transport i mean my dad worked for the royal bank it was my uncle billy who i didn't see that often he was a lorry driver in the family that might be a one to to, to uh, reintroduce the magazine maybe my dad's wagon just a little aye, i would quite like to, half a page or I would, quarter page i've got for that if people send us send us stuff in but i'm not kids these days probably don't if like a magazine's lying about in the house, would be would children be as apt to pick it up and have a look at it as, as, as would they would have been in the be past? My, would you even be allowed to call it my dad's wagon? I would have to. Say, you would, would have, have to say, to yeah, because it could my, be my mum, my mum or dad, or you know, yes, that, my um, <laughs> my non-gender specific <laughs> guardian's wagon. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, here's a great page here. Another one by Pat Kennett. How it works. Number one, the truck diesel engine. Oh, and it's basically a page explaining you exactly how an engine works. Which, uh, well, that's a lot That's a lot of information there. And a lot of modern drivers, because mm. trucks are so quiet and insulated, and they've got automatic gearboxes, and I don't think people really under... There'll be guys that are not mechanically minded that don't understand how... 
torque and sort of how engines work and build power and things. So yeah, that's a, a nice column in there. And then we get to compulsory break, which is um, crossword puzzles and word searches. and Yeah. And then we end the magazine on last word, since which is... Um, yeah, we have a little kind of version of this in the current issue of Truck and Driver where we've got the hot topic, which is um, half a page or sometimes a page on the letters page where our, our um, uh, people on Facebook or Twitter go and comment on the issues of the day. So we've got two pages here. Since we were last on the street, there is a new government, brackets, or is it just more of the same? So, of course, that would have been the Conservative government got back in in 1992 in the UK, which would have been the last term before Blair got in with Labour in 1997. Uh, and a new broom. John, McGre John McGregor is Transport Minister. Don't remember him at all. T&D went to South Mims Services on the M25 and asked some working drivers what they would like the new Ministry of Minister of Transport to do for them and the road transport industry. Right, without reading it, what do you reckon that all these things in here will still be complaints which are completely relevant today? What do you reckon? Probably um, better wages, better roads, more facilities. Yep, up, up first, Tony Elsom, 22, from Hull. Uh, who looks about 42. No offence, Tony, if you're listening, Mike, but moustaches did have a, a tendency to put years on people back in the day. He would like to see better roads, surfaces and repairs. Uh, he says his truck suspension is old. He's got a Leyland 1617. This thing is old and the suspension wasn't the best to start with. Um, and he doesn't agree with speed limiters because, of course, in 1992, some... Uh, companies were fitting speed limiters voluntarily, but they weren't compulsory at that point. So your trucks could hammer on, and you know I think I don't remember much. I remember clear memories of going on holiday with the family, where we'd pack the car, and it would be a long trip from Scotland into the south of England, and sometimes we'd be leaving in the night, uh, and things like the five of us packed into my dad's Cavalier, but I don't remember. But I don't remember clearly like trucks being like really fast. I remember it being exciting getting down to the M6 and you'd see the big sign, the south. And you would get onto these big wide three-lane motorways because you didn't have any three-lane mm. motorways in Scotland. The M74 was still, it was a mess with construction. But I think it would be, it would be fascinating to go, to go even, back. We didn't even have motorways. No, you, you didn't have any motorways in Ireland at the time, no. It would be fascinating no. to, to go back, you know, uh, and see, you know, if you had like a time machine, like the weird things that I would go back and I'd be fascinated about seeing, I'd be like programming dates and, right, I want to go back to like 1989 and I want to go and drive up and down the M6 just to see what speed lorries are going at. <laughs> because I, I suppose exactly. a, a lot of them, a lot of them wouldn't have had a lot of power back then, so they would have slowed down and met an awful lot in the hills. But, of course, you would want to get a run-up to hit the hill. So if you could hit the bottom of the hill at 70 miles an hour, then I suppose that would be that would be it. But Tony says he's wary of forthcoming legislation. I don't agree with speed limiters. I wouldn't be able to get the job done. 
and there should be more proper truck stops opened. There is not enough encouragement for truck stop operators to set up. The government should introduce incentives. Oh my God, you could have written that today, January the 31st, 2021. <laughs> Still the same. Dusty Miller was heading south to Charlton with his Blackpool Van Transport 290 Cummins-powered SEDI 401. The whole motorway system wants updating. Speed limiters are the worst thing that can come in. It will cause queues and motorway gradients. We are limited as, as it is with a taco. You tell me another industry governed by the DTP... The DTP? And the political... Department for, I don't know, and the police. No one wants to know you, but the country would come to a complete standstill without us. A truck has to park up at night by law, but we get charged at these services while a car can sit in these free. God, I, you could have written that today. It's still exactly the same. <laughs> uh, Ted, what does Ted reckon? In his E6 rigid flat, God, that won't be very fast. An, an E6 wasn't uh, exactly the most powerful thing. Ted reckons speed is the main thing. Get that down a bit, he says. It's a problem and not just for young drivers. Some of them have been at it a good few years. Would limiters help? This one will get one at the first MOT, but it won't make a lot of difference, but it will should certainly slow the big ones down on the hills. Uh, Ted favours government action to control prices at the services. The main ones I avoid because of the expense, so that would help me. Exactly. Is there any any of them sticking out to you? No, I'm just looking at one here. Alan Hambridge from Swindon was waiting for instructions on his next load to come through on the cab phone of his Renault R340 Turboliner. Oof, cab phone. That was up. Exactly, yeah. I have to get that in there. So he's got, he's actually got a Renault sweatshirt as well. Renault three forty. What does he say? I do a bit of continental driving, and the truck stops and parking are free out there, and that's still the same. We're on the road five days a week. Parking and bridge tolls should be free because at the end, the cost is shoved onto the customer. Expenses are going through the roof. Blah blah blah. I can run this at fifty five. Uh, it doesn't like another one. Yeah. Plenty of torque. Mm. Yeah. I have no complaints in the conditions of the roads. They're getting better and better, he says. Aye, there's a... Um, let's have... Aye, there's another one. Steve Bunting riding, and his, had his son Darren riding shotgun in the cab of his Griggs F10. You shouldn't have to work up to 15 hours a day to make a living, he said with feeling. Wouldn't higher wages push up costs? We get transport cheap enough in this country compared with the rest of Europe. Though I suppose the government's hands are tied at the moment with the recession. There should definitely be a lot more truck stops and subsidised prices. Look at the M40, a brand new motorway and no services. As for speed limit... That must have been obviously before, before Warwick... Aye, Paddy before they opened up, aye. They, they wouldn't have had any forethought to actually build them, you know, at the same time as building the bloody motorway. Um, are they, uh, as for speed limiters, they could be dangerous. If they insisted on compulsory taco checks for every company and enforced it, there would be no need for them. Because, of course, back then you had, I don't know, in a, certainly... In the UK, there were, a, there were a small number of rogue, kind of well-known hauliers who were renowned for doing like 90, 95 miles an hour because the trucks had got enough power at that point to go and do it. Um, and there was a, there was a haulier 
um, up in Scotland whose name I won't mention uh, but some people might be able to work it out, work it out. but they had a fleet of Scania V8s and uh, one of the, the rep, one of the representatives from the tyre company came out to have a look at the tyres on the truck because the tread was falling off them and the, there was something wrong with them and he's like I cannot understand what's wrong with your tyres so they were they said okay we'll replace them under under warranty we don't we just don't understand what's going on here and then on his way home uh, he got past he was driving at like 90 miles an hour and he's Jaguar on the way home and he got passed by a Scania 143 and the colours of that company whose tyres were falling apart so that was the end of that but I think I mean older um, drivers would, would remember I think there was quite a bit of controversy at the time about certain trucks starting to go super fast it wasn't because most of the guys would sit about sort of 60 65 uh, but you had like a few rogue guys who were really hammering on and I don't know what that was like in Ireland obviously it wouldn't have been as easy in Ireland because your road network wouldn't allow for it as much I suppose that's right yeah well, I suppose the trucks were getting more and more powerful but yet like the weight didn't really increase at all so why were they running 38 tons was it or something to that effect even if they were a few tons over you were still still weren't going to be massive weight so the the um the power mm-hmm. was kind of grown out of proportion to the to the mm-hmm. weight limits. Oh, I try to see what else because they talked to quite a few drivers, um, asking them, and it, it just comes up the same again. There's Barry dropping speed limiters, dropping the limit by four miles an hour is pointless. The previous sixty miles an hour limit was about right. Uh, here's somebody here, um, Peter Simpson, forty-seven, an agency driver driving a Merck 2028 Arctic for British fermentation. I wonder what that is. Never heard of that before, British fermentation. Uh, well, of course, there was a recession on at the time. Times were very hard in, in 1992. Interest rates were very high, and the, the recession was bad. And he says, I'm grateful just to be working. But Peter feels that better planning around service areas would help. We don't need them 12 miles apart, and then none at all. There should be an even thread. Peter's main problem was the recession. Rates are as low as £4 an hour for a Class 1 driver in my area. If I have a slack day, I don't get paid, but I can't sign on as the agency has my P45. Some agencies pay flat rates and holiday money, but Pete's clearly wasn't one of them. Anyway, Keith Jones of Lancaster says, Parking fees at services get on my nerves. They know you are restricted by law and it's difficult to park legally and laybys these days. Drivers lose out because many firms won't pay parking fees. The government should scrap them or control prices. I've got to say that, amen to that. On speed limiters, he has strong feelings since a brake failure-induced crash sidelined him for two years. I don't see a problem. Modern vehicles have reserves of power, commented the ex-HGV instructor, but the government should not drop the level too much. Interestingly, most of our respondents were pushed to name the new transport minister and none admitted voting for his party. Yeah, I can't imagine there would have been many truck drivers voting Conservative at that sort of point. And I can certainly not, I can't recall John McGregor either, even though I was 12 at the time. It's not a name that I, re- I remember going back. And that, but that concludes the magazine, 74 pages. We've got an advert on the back for Bridgestone with an ERF E12 TX, which would be a Perkins engine.
Well, you got anything to you got anything to add? Uh, comments on the magazine? No. Did it bring back any fond memories from you looking back through it? No. It would have just been really the the standout trucks that were in it. That um, Craig Potter's truck and the uh, and the Ford one. The 4350, I'd say. That's probably uh, that's things it. that would have jumped out with me from it. Uh, I probably remember a couple, of, a couple of those ones in picture posts, but a lot of that, the other stuff... Uh, back in the day, I had... It, that interest. It is. There's not as much... Um, there's a, there's some interesting information. I particularly liked the, the thing about how to drive an Eaton Twin Splitter. You know, that's important information. And I do like the, the, the driver's feedback when they're climbing and about things. But stuff like the legal brief... And things like that—that that would just make my sort of eyes glaze o- no. glaze over that sort of sort of stuff. And of course, Shaba was uh, brilliant. But you can you see, there's no like in terms of like if you're looking back on th- uh, on this, it's got a lot more kind of uh, serious sort of content, which is now today's kind of taken over by commercial motor and motor transport. Um, but ah, it's been inter- interesting to have yeah, a look so really- back on it. Yeah, really. If if you look at a, a modern day um, truck and driver, I, I would find that there's an awful lot more interesting articles in it. You know, reading about different uh, companies and, and different trucks featured. Whereas here, you know, there was a lot of that stuff about you know the legal stuff and the um, okay, like the, the unit power wouldn't be in the truck racing. There was really only a few kind of good standout ones that that you know would have appealed to me then and, and kind of would appeal to me now so mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely taking a, <laughs> a turn for the better I think in, 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 the, in the modern era anyway from my, my perspective uh, so the next looking forward we've got the next one we've got the next one to do which came out in the middle of 1992 and that one is ours we're going to have a look at on the next episode of this random series of deep dives into trucking drivers so the second issue has got a yellow Scania 143 on the cover um, and I'm going to guess that it's more of the same when we open it up it is, it's just a single page um, at the start and then I'm going to guess it's going to be in the middle on the poster, is it? Yes it is I'll tell you what, that is a beautiful photograph that's a lovely picture because you've still got the middle in it yeah, that's no, no, that was on the wall for many years. It's it's gone now. It's I don't know who, but actually, um, we'll, we'll move on to it. But just something I, I had a little scan through the the text, and um, I just I'll, I'll just finish off with this one little piece here. Um, John Thirty One from Stourport is a Scania man through and through. I don't recognise anything else. So he obviously changed his views on trucks because after that uh, 143, he had a 144-530. And after the 144-530, he had a man TGA Excalibur, <laughs> which was quite unusual. So he obviously must have recognised other trucks after... Money, oh, well, money, money talks, you know. No, it's been interesting to have a look, a look through that. <laughs> That's it. Uh, uh, and I look forward. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us go and read through the read through this magazine when you're out uh, rolling up and down the motorway. Hopefully, it's uh, brought some memories back for back for you. Maybe giving you giving you an insight into the history of trucking driver and some of the stuff that was going on in the world back when this magazine was published. Um, all right, we'll be back soon to go and do the second edition of this. Thanks very much, Paul. It's uh, been a pleasure. You're welcome, Dougie. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. 
To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.